Hello, and welcome to Midweek Bible Study. I'm Steve Maroney. I'm Associate Pastor of Adult Ministries at Parkside Church Green, and I am thrilled, thrilled to return to our study of 1 Samuel. Uh, whether or not you were part of the study last fall, I mean, it just seems like forever ago, doesn't it? So much has happened in 2020. It just has been a blur. Uh, but Lord willing and technology sort of allowing, uh, each Friday I'm going to send you a 20-minute teaching, which you can view as a video or you can listen to as a podcast if you prefer. And having then absorbed that teaching and having also done your own study, now not this intro week, but every week after this you'll be doing some observations and answering some discussion and application questions, then you're going to be ready to discuss and apply God's Word in your small group on either Tuesday or Wednesday. And you know what? We're going to find the first Samuel is full, full of lessons from the past for the present. Uh, Thomas Greer and Greer observe how in so many ways, first and second Samuel is kind of like a mirror to the modern world. It, it shows us a society with serious trouble. Among other things, we read of wives betrayed by husbands, children gone wild, corrupt religious leaders, uh, conspiracy to murder, deceitful politicians, and the horrors of war. You see, we all share the common problem of sin. And what was true for their day is true for ours, except for God's gracious help, our sin would swallow us whole. But we will see that God's gracious help is there, and we're going to find in 1 Samuel also that the Lord is the ultimate king. No matter who the human leaders are, the Lord is the ultimate king over the Israelites, the Philistines, and all of creation. You see, in the midst of what seems like political turmoil, we can praise the Lord that he is working out his good purposes. The Lord is the one who is at work providentially through Hannah's initial infertility, through problems in Eli's family, through Saul's searching for donkeys, for Jonathan's taste for battle, or through David's musical talents and other seemingly ordinary matters. And God is still at work in the ordinary matters of our lives as we seek him today. Well, it can be challenging to start in the middle of a story, right? Uh, you're, you're reading the book or you're watching a movie version of Les Miserables, and, and you come in at the scene where Monsieur Madeleine puts his life and his entire future also at risk by climbing under a sinking cart in the mud to rescue one of his enemies. He uses his strong back to lift the cart off the guy, which tips off the chief of police to the fact that, you know what, the mayor is actually a former convict who violated his parole. I mean, if you come in in the middle of the story, you can sense the drama of the scene and you're engaged and drawn into it, but you can't really appreciate it fully without knowing the backstories of Jean Valjean and Inspector Javert. Or you come to the dramatic battle scene between David and Goliath in 1 Samuel 17, which is what we're going to do next week. That's our starting passage. 
but you can't really fully appreciate it without knowing the backstories of the Israelite people and their enemies, the Philistines, and their king Saul, and this young man David. What's he all about? So what can we learn about God and about people from the backstory of 1 Samuel 1 to 16. Well, we start by asking what we can learn from Hannah's story in the first two chapters of 1 Samuel. Hannah was devastated to be without children. She wept all the time. She wouldn't eat. Seriously depressed and in misery, especially when her husband's very fertile second husband, uh, second wife and rival was needling her and provoking and irritating her all the time. But, but Hannah was a follower of the Lord, Yahweh, and she took her sorrows to the Lord in prayer, and that changes everything for her. It changes it all. Hannah conceives, she bears a son, Samuel. She follows through on her earlier vow by devoting Samuel completely, totally to the Lord's service. And Hannah also prays a powerful prayer in chapter 2, that shows confident trust in the Lord who reigns over the world with both blessing and judgment. Hannah's story in the first couple of chapters teaches us to trust that the Lord is at work even in troubled families. Maybe you've got troubles in your family. The Lord can work there. She teaches us to remember that barrenness or or any form of brokenness is not to be equated with God-forsakenness. You see, the Lord was with Hannah in the midst of her daily misery. We can also learn from Hannah to take our deep distresses and affliction to the Lord in prayer and then rest in God's holiness and power, knowing that the Lord is able to bring about a great reversal for Hannah, as he does, or for David, as he will. Again, we're getting some foreshadowing and we're just getting started with the backstory of 1 Samuel. Well, Samuel, remember, was raised by the priest Eli, but Eli's two sons sadly did not know the Lord. And they're described as worthless fellows. They, they treated the Lord's offering with contempt and they slept with the women who served in the Lord's house. Sadly, Eli did not take decisive action against them, and in this way, he honored his sons above the Lord. And in that way, then Eli's household is said to have despised the Lord. It's a strong statement. Consequently, father and sons both died, and the ark of God was captured by the Philistines all on the same day, the same tragic day. But while Israel then suffered under these corrupt priests, Samuel's sons, God was raised, or or rather Eli's sons, God was raising up Samuel, you see, a faithful priest. And just as later Israel would suffer under corrupt King Saul, God was in the process of raising up faithful King David. Again, the backstory helps prepare us for the rest of the story that we'll be studying. Now, the Philistines had captured the Ark of God, and they placed the Ark of God in Dagon's temple. And the next morning, when they came to Dagon's temple, the statue of Dagon, who was the Philistine god, is found face down before the Ark of the Lord. Comically, the, the 
Philistines prop Dagon back up. Oh, our God has fallen and he can't get up. Here you go, I'll help you, God. (laughs) And they put prop him back up in his spot. And the next morning, they fall him face down again, now with his head and his hands cut off. Dagon it. Right? Who is the true living God here? It's Yahweh. The Lord further afflicted the Philistines with tumors and panic, right? Wherever they would take the ark, city to city. So you see, the Lord reigns everywhere, even in enemy territory. Yes, the ark was temporarily in the Philistines' hands, but really the Philistines were in the Lord's hands. might look like the Philistines were stronger when they won a battle or two over the Israelites, but the Lord can always defeat them as he will later with young David and the Philistine giant, Goliath. Again, the backstory. Well, the Lord called Samuel, we remember as a little boy, he, he served God, he served God's people faithfully all his years. He was a man of great integrity, Samuel. And under his leadership, Israel repented, they put away their foreign gods, they prayed, they sacrificed, And consequently, they had victory and peace within the promised land. It was a good era for Israel under Samuel's leadership. But but Samuel's sons took bribes and they perverted justice. They were a little bit like Eli's sons in that way. And rather than looking to the Lord as their king and waiting for God to provide the next leader, Israel's elders requested a king to rule over us like all the nations. God's people wanted to imitate the world, you see. And despite Samuel's many warnings about what a king would bring, the people insisted on having a king. They wanted the wrong kind of king, was the problem, to be like all the nations, to to go out before us and, and fight our battles. What about having the Lord as your king and going out and fighting your battles for you? After the initial failure under Saul, God graciously, though, would work it all for good through King David and ultimately through King Jesus, the king who we truly need. We're getting ahead of ourselves, right? First, God gives the people the king they asked for. In fact, Saul can be translated as asked for. And physically, Saul, Saul had it all. He had a wealthy father, Remarkable height, probably dunk a basketball, stunning good looks, right? People would just naturally admire him and follow him. Uh, he would have made a great leading man in Hollywood, or tall, dark, and handsome, kind of, so to speak. Well, at God's leading, uh, Samuel does anoint Saul, and God's Spirit rushes upon Saul so that he can save the Lord's people. And again, we know as readers of the whole story that the Spirit would later depart from Saul and rush upon David. Again, the backstory informs the plot as it moves forward. And remember, things started well under Saul. Uh, they defeated the Ammonites. In fact, Saul himself was careful to give the Lord credit for this initial victory. So despite all the evil that the people had done, if they and their king would follow the Lord with all their hearts, it would be well with them. That was God's promise to them, but it didn't last long. Under pressure, Saul foolishly disobeys God by offering the burnt offering himself 
rather than waiting for Samuel the priest to do it. And when Samuel arrives, it seems like just minutes later or something, he confronts him. Saul does not repent. And that's what disqualifies him from leading God's people. You see, God had already sought out a man after his own heart to be prince over his people. And we know that that man is David. Moving forward, Saul's son, Jonathan, trusts the Lord to save. Even when it's two against 20, you may remember the story of Jonathan as armor bearer defeating a garrison of 20 Philistines. And that kicks off a panic in the Philistine camp that God sends. Well, Saul, meanwhile, starts to inquire of the Lord, but he doesn't follow through. And he instead proceeds without divine guidance. In fact, he curses anyone who eats food until I am avenged on my enemies. You see, it's all about Saul now. It's not about God winning the victory and getting the glory, but Saul being avenged on his enemies on his terms. And Jonathan wasn't there, and so he unknowingly violates the oath by eating some honey, and and Saul is foolishly ready to kill his own son until the people stand up for Jonathan and stop Saul. You see, yes, Saul had many valiant military successes, but he was a spiritual failure. Unlike Saul, who neglected God, David would inquire of the Lord before he would take action. You're going to see this again and again in our study. David first inquired of the Lord in ways that Saul did not. So we appreciate David, again, by contrast with Saul's backstory. The Lord commands Saul to completely destroy the Amalekites as punishment for their earlier opposition to his people Israel. But Saul obeys only partially. See, he lets the king and and the best of the animals live, and Samuel comes and again confronts Saul, and again Saul rationalizes his behavior. Oh, the people did it, and, and they saved the animals to sacrifice to the Lord your God. The Lord your God? Is it just Samuel's God? Is Yahweh no longer your God, Saul? Saul insisted, he dug his heels in. No, I have obeyed. I carried out the mission I was given. And Samuel says, no, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, the Lord has rejected you as king. Now later, Saul comes clean and he says, you know what? Yeah, it was, I feared the people. I had a mutiny on my hands and and I obeyed the people rather than God. But it's too late, right? Samuel says, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And we know that is David. So in contrast to the people getting the kind of king that they wanted in Saul, God says, I have provided for myself a king and he's among Jesse's sons. So Samuel goes to Bethlehem, and Jesse's sons are paraded in front of him, and he thinks initially, oh, surely this is the Lord's anointed when he's looking at Eliab. He's the oldest, he, he's, he's good-looking, he's taller than all the rest of the boys. Surely that's the Lord's anointed. But we learn that while man looks on the outward appearance, the Lord looks on the heart. Again, David Then as Samuel anoints David as Israel's next king, the Spirit of the Lord rushes upon David 
from that day forward. You see, it's going to be in a, a lasting way that the Spirit of God will empower and direct David. Sadly, by contrast, the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And in fact, a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented or terrified Saul. So Saul's attendants uh, size up the situation. They grasp what's going on. They suggest, how about we try some therapy by a skilled court musician? And one of them recommends, hey, one of the sons of Jesse, he's very good musically. He's qualified in other ways. Saul says, yeah, let's, I, I agree to the plan. Uh, so that interestingly now, the Lord's choice is also Saul's choice. Hmm. Saul agrees to take into his court his future rival and successor, David. A slow passing of the crown has begun, and we're going to see it's going to take years for that crown to pass fully from Saul to David, but it's begun and it will unfold as we'll see in the weeks ahead. You see, Saul had unwittingly summoned the very one to whom the kingdom of Israel had been given. The king whom God chose, David, now served as the king whom God rejected, Saul. And that brings us to where we're going to start next week with the dramatic story of David and Goliath. I know you're going to enjoy your small groups coming up right after Labor Day. Let's close now in a word of prayer. Father, we praise you as the hero of this true story in 1 Samuel. You, Lord, are the one who graciously allows Hannah to conceive. You, Lord, are the one who calls young Samuel to lead Israel. You, Lord, are the one who gives Israel victories over the Ammonites and Philistines. And you, Lord, are the one who raises up, unlikely David, a man after your own heart, to lead your people. So as we study through 1 Samuel week by week this fall, we pray that you will open our eyes to learn more about you, Lord, and your work in the lives of your people 3,000 years ago and in the lives of your people today. Through Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, we pray. Amen.